0: Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Welcome to this week's podcast. This week, we are talking to David Adam Moore, who I first met and had the privilege of working with on Faust when we When we did Faust at Portland Opera a few months ago, David was a projection designer, uh, and I have to say, created like the most favorite cues that I've ever called before. Which I say all the time, David. I talk about you all the time, but it was so awesome to call. Anyways, before that, I unofficially. Wait, wait. I want to know which one it was. Now, which one? What was your favorite cue to call? Uh, there were a lot of them. I don't have. Well, you said he created your favorite, and then you just leave us hanging there. And now I don't know which one it was. Was it the ladders coming in at the end, which you messed up and you were so freaked out about for opening? That that was a pretty awesome one. End of Act 2 was a pretty awesome one because we just practiced it over and over.
1: Yeah, End of Act 2.
0: End of Act 2. God, with
1: all this dancing around with the scrim.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That one one was good. Just a number of the way the cues were timed out that were really, really fun to call. but I unofficially kind of met david in march because i went down to west palm beach and got to sit in on a figaro rehearsal at west palm beach opera uh where brett and tracy were both working at the time and david sang count was it double
1: cast double cast yeah i I sang the role of the count in uh the marriage of figaro
0: right so i got to see him then but i didn't actually ever talk to him i didn't meet him until later and brett pointed out to me later that it was the same person So David's sung over 60 principal roles in opera. He's sung at the Met, Lyric Opera Chicago, Covent Gardens, all over the world when you look at his website. Uh, But he's also known as a stage director, composer. He co-founded Glimmer with Vita, who we had on the podcast a few months ago. And as I said, is this really awesome video and projection designer. So thanks so much for joining us today. We are so excited to have you. Uh, Our first big question is always, how did you get started in theater and for me, it's, did you kind of start singing first or did you start in design first or did it all kind of like happen at the same time?
1: Well, first of all, thanks for having me on this. It's it's really great to, to have a chance to really dig in and talk about this stuff with you guys. Um, I, uh, I grew up in rural Southeast Texas, um, in a very rural kind of situation. And, uh, uh, half of my family is Cajun, and the other half are East, Te- East Texas rednecks. And uh, yeah,
0: we have rednecks and, on ours. Uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> and, and, and they and they're very much uh, they're very musically engaged, like like both sides of the family. And uh, you know, and and looking at this historically, my guess would be it comes from a tradition of, of playing playing music before the recording era in, in the home and, and at, at family get-togethers and at church and things like that. And I think in my family, from both sides, that continued over. So my, my grandfather, who I was partially raised by, uh, on my mom's side was a, 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 a Cajun musician. And uh, then on my dad's side, uh, I'm, a, I'm the sixth generation of professional musicians. And
0: Wow, that's amazing.
1: But I'm I'm the first one to uh, to do country uh, to not do country music. Actually, I'm the first How one I to go classical music. music. Well? <laughs> no, you don't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, and then uh, I was t- at some point or other. I you know I don't I think maybe I I won the art contest in second grade in school or something. <laughs>
0: good. It's a good starting. And it's all point.
1: been downhill since. Um, <laughs> But no, like, you know I, I i I was handy with crayons you know uh, as, as a kid and um, <laughs> and that and then you know progressed on to other types of media as a, as an adolescent and uh, and at the same time, I, I started writing music also as an adolescent and became very fascinated with electronic music and um, synthesizers and but actually that started from the time I was a kid as well, and so my dream as a child was to be either an actor or to be like a, a rock star or something like that. And and so I was always making up songs and, and uh, you know, I got my, my grandmother bought me a little Casio toy keyboard when I was like nine years old and I learned every sound on it. I learned every rhythm on it and I learned how to play all of my favorite songs on it. And then when I was in high school, I started, uh, you know, working these really, really shitty jobs to save money to buy my first synthesizer. And, um, and so none of this has anything to do with theater yet. Uh,
0: It's still the arts and how you got into it. I mean, we fell into it because a friend said, Hey, do this. It'll be fun. So your story is way more like you had a purpose.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, um, and i always I always kind of heard music in my head or had musical hallucinations or something like that like and and so it was it was there was always this this thing that I, I needed to to get this music out of my head and uh and when and when I discovered synthesizers and and the the vast landscape of sounds that you can pull out of these things and mm-hmm. that you can create with these um I was just always very fascinated with them, both aesthetically and technically. And um, so, so I was writing a lot of music and making a lot of art and making a lot of sounds and stuff like that. And, uh, but I wasn't really going anywhere with that. And then at some point, it came time to decide whether or not to go to college, which is, I'd say, from the sort of very working class culture that I came from, uh, going to college was not a, a typical thing to do. Um, most people would, you know, after high school, they would try to, try to get like a sort of entry level job with a construction contractor or at the refinery or something like that, and then work their way up over time. Um, but I decided kind of at the last minute that I wanted to go to college and, uh, and I was, I was super into fundamentalist evangelical Christianity and going to church a lot and, uh, in churches down there especially but but i'd say the fundamentalist evangelical churches in general they're really great places for developing uh like for amateurs to develop skills in music and theater um because they don't have paid musicians or paid choirs or or anything like that they don't post productions or anything like that like it, it's it's diy diy as you can imagine mm-hmm. so um, and it's every sunday started, and
0: maybe every wednesday so it's a lot of performing practice time
1: yeah totally and and a lot of and and it's you know you're in a very loving family of people and so it's a community of people if if you are kind of within their belief system and everything you know and, and so um so it can be a very um fertile ground a very supportive environment you know and uh, i'm not a fundamentalist evangelical evangelical anymore by the way but, but <laughs> i was wondering when, most
0: theater people aren't but you know everybody to their own yeah
1: exactly exactly and uh so um where i'm leading with this is that i I started singing a little bit in church because i could always kind of carry a tune i was not i never thought of myself really as a singer because i I never really wanted to be the center of attention or anything like that I, i liked making my music and my art and stuff like that and um but at some point I was asked to play the role of Jesus in the Easter play at church. And I think that was my kind stage debut. Big,
0: kind of a big role.
1: I was like, I was get like to 16, die and come back you know? to life. <laughs> <laughs> and it had a couple of songs in it. And like I said, I could carry a tune, all right, you know. And um and we're, we're like talking
0: it, to a guy who sings at the Met, he was like, you know, I could kind of carry a tune. Yeah. I don't want to <laughs> well, be the center that of that attention or was, anything. You know? <laughs>
1: Um, and so when I, um, so yeah, I played Jesus and then I decided that, well, I guess I can sing a little. And, um, so I, I, uh, entered the talent show singing a, a Depeche Mode song uh, that <laughs> same year a bit later, which I, which a friend of mine and I had programmed on synthesizers. He was supposed to sing it first and then he got sick the night before. And so in a pinch, I jumped in and sang it. And so the choir director, for the high school, he came up to me immediately after the talent show, and he was like, oh, "Why aren't you in my choir? You've got a wonderful voice, you know." And so I, I was very flattered by this. So, I, and I was very interested in classical music. I was just discovering classical music at about age sixteen. So I, um, so I, I was like, "Would you guys sing classical music?" And he was like, "Yeah, that's like always sing, basically." And and so <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, sign me up." So so I joined choir my last year in high school which was when I needed to make a decision about college. And I really didn't have many prospects at that point because I hadn't been aiming in any particular direction. And mm-hmm. my, my whole sort of intellectual awakening didn't happen until the very end of high school. So um, my choir director, uh, again, he suggested that I um, audition for a scholarship, for a music scholarship at the local university. Uh, in Beaumont, Texas, Lamar University, and oh, so
0: I th- think Beaumont. Our our dad grew up in Odessa. I don't think that's too oh, really? far yeah. from Beaumont. Yeah, well, grew up. They traveled a lot. He was born in Odessa. The family still yeah. comes from Odessa. Nice. Odessa is
1: like a solid six to eight hours from Beaumont. Oh, okay. That, then how do I how know big Beaumont?
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> way too big. Um,
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, um. So, yeah, uh, but, you know, I mean, Texans, you know, there is there is kind of a distinctive Texan culture that I, I think we share in a way. Yes, um,
0: they're very different than most ever, the, every other state.
1: <laughs> yeah, there aren't, you, you know, you don't see Ohio-shaped belt buckles. <laughs> um,
0: or Ohio, like, size pieces of bread or... <laughs>
1: <clears throat> yeah, so, um, so I... So I, I, I auditioned for the scholarship and I, and, I, and I got kind of a modest, like sort of a mid-level scholarship there. But that was more money than I had otherwise to go to school at the time. And so that was my ticket to college. So I, I was like, great, you know. And then once I got in, I started taking voice lessons. I started learning about the history of music. I started learning about the, uh, opera, like what opera is. Um, yeah,
0: I don't imagine you get sort of much l- of that in, in Texas.
1: What's that?
0: I don't imagine you got much of that growing up with a Cajun... Texas family.
1: No, not at all. And, and you know, I got a lot of, I got a lot of musical education, and I got a lot of uh, musical exposure. I think, which is absolutely crucial to everything I do. Um, mm-hmm. And one of my favorite things is to sit and talk with my dad about music and how we experience music. You know, even though I'm, I've got all this formal training and stuff, and he doesn't, but he's he's a superior musician to me. I absolutely stand by that because. He's simply been doing it longer and he's been, he's a bass player and backup singer. And uh, well, he's a, he's a lead singer for his band and he, he was a bat, backup singer for a, a, a top 10 country Western band. Um,
0: nice. for, um,
1: I mean, he was a bass player and backup singer for a top 10 country Western act. Uh, an artist named Tracy Bird, um, who was charting for a solid 10 or 15 years or something in the uh, 90s and early 2000s. And now dad yeah, has his I'm own sure. bands.
0: Yeah, our parents have a few Tracy Bird CDs. I oh, love, yeah? we, we grew up with country. I love country music,
1: so. Oh, cool, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so dad toured with Tracy for um, for quite a while, and but dad is just such an amazing musician. I mean, he can play jazz and funk and, and everything, and so his, his musical sensibility is just something I, I admire, and I can hear it when he's playing a, a James Taylor song or whatever. And so, you know, even if I'm singing... T- some you know extremely difficult piece by you know Thomas Addis or or Pedro or somebody like that. For me to get to the level of musicality, musical sensitivity that my dad achieves on a normal basis is for me that's that's really an aspiration. Um, even though the music itself is simpler if you're looking at the structure and mechanics of, of the music itself. Um, so so when he, like,
0: i feels it the way that he can internalize yeah, it,
1: yeah exactly it's it's the way that he feels it it's it's the way the way he works the inner subtleties of the rhythm uh-huh. the way he phrases um and you know the way he works with different timbres within his instrument mm-hmm. uh, he's, he's a master you know and and so and uh and my grandpa was also a very accomplished musician and um so yeah, I think growing up watching people make music made me uh, maybe a bit more fearless about that than I would have been if I had come to it from a totally different uh, background. And even though it's a different type of music that I'm in, but but yes, yeah, so, I mean one of the first things I learned about when I got to college was about John Cage and Luigi Dalla Piccola and Luciano Berio and and uh, and, and about the operas of Wagner and.
0: Oh, I and so I, I
1: very quickly added composition as my major, and um, and so I ended up studying composition formally for two years, and uh, and and that's that's how I. The story goes on and on, but but that's that's how I got into theater, basically.
0: Oh, that's really really cool. So did you graduate with a composition major? Because you said you did it for two years, or did you? Yeah.
1: So I was at Lamar University in Beaumont, Texas, for two years. And um, I got fantastic theory training there and and good composition training. I I was lucky I had a very, very good composition teacher and uh, and good training in terms of the structure of the voice and and vocal pedagogy. And there was a series of textbooks that my vocal pedagogy teacher used that were written by um, a man named uh, Richard Miller who taught at Oberlin Conservatory and Mm. he did a lot of uh, pioneering work um, in breaking down what opera singers do in terms of the acoustics and physiology of it and and really linking the teaching of vocal technique to the actual acoustics and physiology um, of the operatic singing voice. he uh, and so he wrote a series of he wrote actually several different books and and I, I read these books just voraciously and, and and was very fascinated by them and so I wanted to meet this guy and and I found out that he was going to be teaching a workshop in Dallas which was about five hours from my my hometown and so I worked at Little Caesars one summer to uh, save up the money to make that trip up to Dallas and meet him at the workshop and. Uh, and so I did and I badgered the poor guy with questions just, just <laughs> because I, you know, at the time I thought that was like the only time I'd ever get to meet somebody who, who had found that fascinating, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, and so, and, and the thing, and I'd been studying his books very carefully for two years and just learning how to sing for the first time and all that. And so, um, so yeah. And, and I sang for him some in the master classes there. And uh, I don't think he was particularly blown away by my singing for where it was at the time. I think he, he thought I had an instrument, but, um, but what he, I think what he liked was the, the barrage of questions that I was assaulting him with. And he, um, and so at some point I told him that I wanted to change schools, that I wanted to go to a more performance oriented school. And uh, and he told me that if I if I could get into Oberlin, um, that he would be happy to give me a spot in his studio. Wow! And so so I was very very lucky um, that I I just barely squeaked into Oberlin uh, when I, I, I flew up there and I auditioned for them and um, and I was and so I, I was able to start studying with him for my junior year in college and um and yeah and once once I started getting some really quality training like that um I'm not saying my training at Lamar was bad in terms of performance it just wasn't it wasn't such a performance oriented school you know at, and
0: Oberlin it is I know
1: yeah Oberlin is very much
0: yeah
1: yeah and so there I started um performing my first operatic roles uh in full productions they do they did fantastic productions there the production values were, were very very high And, um, yeah, so I started, you know, becoming exposed to all this repertoire and and getting to really perform for the first time. And all the while, I had no idea what stage managers did.
0: (laughs) Do you now know what a stage manager does? (gasps) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Some people still don't know. Just singing? Or did you learn what a stage manager did, like, when you started doing, or, you know, as you were doing more, like, directing and... And design. It, it was when
1: I started directing and designing.
0: Yeah. Then it really... It
1: is it. amazing how sandboxed singers are and, and how much of your work we're not around for.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I think
1: that's
0: yeah. I think that's part of it. We do so much work, like, before rehearsal and after rehearsal. And in mm-hmm. rehearsal, half the time, I think, we just, like, sit and watch you guys on stage. But you don't actually see us working because we're just, like, sitting Yeah. There, you know? mm-hmm. But it, a lot of it happens before and after. Which is funny, so like... Jonathan even said that the like rare times that Jonathan wasn't on stage during Faust, he would stand backstage next to me, and he'd be like, "I can't believe you never stopped talking during the show." Like, <laughs> well, this show has a lot of cues in it. And he was like, "This is yeah." Just... That
1: might be. But... Did, did you just say that's David's fault?
0: No, I, no, <laughs> no, I said it's un in some operas. It's unusual to have that many cues. You know, yeah. I, Faust was special, and I do a lot of non traditional stuff because I like that kind of stuff, but. Yeah. yeah. Jonathan has been singing for years, you know, and even he is like, this is amazing to like, watch this happen.
1: But, oh, that's cool.
0: It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's but, fun. Yeah. I mean, when
1: I, when I, when I, you know, started, started crossing over to the dark side, so to speak, I, um, <laughs> that's what I, I had to learn very quickly what stage managers do. Um, and I was lucky that, the, you know, the first few productions I did, I had. Really good friends as stage managers, and so I was able to ask all the dumb questions and, you know, uh, sort of you know get get mentored to some degree.
0: Figure it out, yeah,
1: yeah, and most importantly, Vita was a stage manager before, and so yeah, we
0: talked about that. I think that's so amazing.
1: Yeah, so she she helped me close my knowledge gap quite a bit um, (laughs) when we were first going into this, and and you know, and particularly directing and designing a production together. She's really good about making it all very stage manager ready, very stage manager mm-hmm. friendly. Like, that's even before we meet with the stage managers, that's, that's something that she's always very cognizant of.
0: I, I mean, it, Faust, and it may be because it had already been produced, but it was so friendly. Like, the scene changes, you could tell the scene changes were all thought of in advance, and the way mm-hmm. that everything went together was thought of in the design process. Yeah, you know, there's, there's some which shows you get rare. To and it, it looks gorgeous, and all of a sudden you're like, "But I have no idea where this is going to go backstage, or how the scene change is going to work, or how we're going to mm-hmm. do it in this amount of time." You know, and you could just tell that it was designed with everything in mind, and it just kind of would work, which makes yeah art so much easier and, and a lot more fun. To,
1: well, that's great. I, I think we have Rachel Tobias to thank for that largely.
0: Um, she was in. She was in Chicago.
1: Yeah, yeah, in Chicago. Um, yeah, because I think you know, working with, working with John Frame on the Faust. Um, just to give, give the, our audience some context, uh, John Frame is is a visual artist. I, well, I mean, he's not a visual artist. This guy's like a consummate artist, but he's a you know, he's a multimedia artist whose whose work this production of Faust was was inspired by, and and he was very deeply involved as part of the creative team as well. And, um, so, but, but with the way that John works, you know, it's, it's, it was very helpful to, to see things and to try things out and to be very, very spontaneous in the technical process. And, uh, so for that reason, uh, Rachel had, had to to do a lot of work in terms of, you know, let's try the cue here. Let's try the cue there. Okay. Let's try this. Let's try this look now. Let's try this look. And so. Um, I'd say, and we were very lucky that Lyric Opera of Chicago gave us a pre-tech period before our actual tech. and Wow. Um, during, yeah, so during that pre-tech, we were able to, to workshop things the way we would if we were doing a gallery installation or something like that. So during the q to qs we were able to start getting really creative. I, I had a station um, at my tech table that um it drove the lighting director crazy because i i had so much gear there but <laughs> well, it didn't drive him crazy but he, he was he was kind of marveling at, at how much stuff i had and uh <laughs> you know with multiple monitors and several different computers and things like that but i used the hell out of it because during that process i had i was building and rendering video on the fly just like bam 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 um as as we came up with new ideas Uh, as part of the creative team so so by the time it got to Portland you know that that was all mostly fixed although we we did make a lot of alterations in tech
0: right but for the with the amount of cues that there were in scene changes yeah I would say at least 85 percent of it was there and it was just editing some of it you know so like all the big stuff was kind of figured out and the fact that we spent 30 minutes working on one you know, six measure queuing sequence was such a gift because so many times in tech you just don't have time to to focus on those individual things because you're trying to get the bigger picture. Yeah. So to have the bigger picture done and to do minute um, work like that was something that I hadn't experienced since grad school. I think you know where you actually have mm. the luxury of like three weeks of tech. But yeah, it's oh, like we have three days. Do what you can. Yeah. Go. Yeah. So, it was a yeah little... so talking about rendering, what? I, I actually don't even know. What program do you use, or do you have a preferred program for for projections? Do you use Watchout, or do you use it's another one that starts with an I that I can't remember? Uh, I
1: don't Isadora. know. It yeah,
0: those are the yeah. two I'm
1: aware of. It depends on what I'm using it for. Um, if it's a really big, high stakes production. Um, with with proper budget for a programmer et etc cetera, etc, cetera, then I like to use D three, um, which which is now called disguise uh, disguised. That's they've actually changed their name. Um, I
0: don't think I know that
1: one. But that's the one we used in Faust. Um, and you know, it's not as it's not as easy to kind of get one's hands on as. Uh, as, as the other program some of the other programs, because of you know, the way it's priced and it comes with specific hardware servers that you have to um, lease or, or purchase with it, which are very expensive which are often as expensive as the projectors themselves mm-hmm. and uh, to yeah. lease at least. So you know, there's a bit of overhead with all that, but it's totally worth it because what you end up doing is saving a lot of time in tech uh, because it's, it's so intelligently organized as a program. Um, but, but also you have to like, you know, D3 programmers are, are specialists, you know, and so, um, there are a handful of people running around the country, making their, their livings as D3, just programming this one program, you know, and so, so in that sort of context, like with Faust, then, then I like to use D3, um, if it's more of a gallery stuff Situation, or a like a performance installation, or something that where I've got more time in the space, or if I'm actually behind the computers myself and I'm programming myself, and and I have the ability to make changes in real time, that I like to use uh, VDMX and MadMapper um, in combination with one another. VDMX is to actually um, manipulate the video content, and in some cases generate new video content. Um, you kind of work it's kind of like Adobe After Effects for VJs it's, it's like Adobe After Effects but in real time so you're doing special effects on video in real time and then Madmapper is a fantastic program for um, taking video and, and conforming it onto surfaces in, in a sort of liquid style and, and it, so it's, it's really good for, for mapping but it, it can do very complex mapping. And then oh, for okay, shows, next
0: question. are they all sort of equal with mapping or?
1: No, not at all. And, and they map in totally different ways, uh, which makes, you know, sort of the programming them. Um, you kind of have to put your head in different universes when you're programming one or programming the other. And the other uh, probably my go to program for productions that are not as large-scale as Faust or not as large as big-budget as Faust but still need to be very timeline-based and very, very queue friendly is um, Milliman, uh, M-I-L-L-U-M-I-N. It's a, uh, it's a software made uh, in... It's developed in Paris, and the team that runs it is, is out of Paris, and uh, it's fantastic because it, it offers... Uh, wonderful mapping capability, Um, some fairly robust uh, basic image manipulation capability, Uh, and its timeline structure is just fantastic. Like, its timeline and layering um, uh, capabilities are are really, really strong. And so that's why I, I particularly like that for queuing. And so we tend to use that in most glimmer shows and and in any show in which I'm performing, that's the one that gets used because then I can hand it off to somebody. I can, I can build it all myself. I can do all the programming and then hand it off to an operator. And, uh, and it can be very, very simple.
0: So you went to school to study singing and music and all that. How did you learn Mm -hmm. mapping and video editing and projections and all that? Just see to your pants, figure it out. Yeah. Obviously doesn't everyone. I
1: uh no, I mean I I uh it was my you know once once my once my singing career got to a point where um you know things were kind of rolling along and and I was I had enough gigs to make a living and and, you know I would have a little spare time after rehearsal every day. I, I would usually go home and either write music uh and and, or do sound design type stuff um well that's what i did for a long time actually and and i was even djing for a while and uh so i always i always had this sort of you know synthetic music world that i could engross myself in um to sort of it, it, it would be good to sort of clean all the opera out of my head because, you know, I need, I'd been, you know, singing or studying, you know, for at least eight to 10 hours on any given day as a performer. And then, you know, just to go to sleep at night, like I need something else to kind of push that out. And mm-hmm. so that these, these lines don't keep circling in my head. And so mm-hmm. I think that's I would, why I like uh, country
0: so much. It's like kind of as opposite as I can get from country a little bit, you know, and yeah so it, it's a good, yeah. Distraction from listening to opera all day long.
1: Yeah. Yeah. that That's, that's, and, and so it served that purpose, but also was a, was a creative outlet, which was very important for me because I felt like to, to be a good performer, I always had to have this, this sort of, um, you know, I don't know a little e- evil twin, you know, inside <laughs> me to, to no, go and do something that's completely different. Um, and so at a certain point in the, in the sort of like around the, 2008 to 2010 era uh, computers started getting faster and much more like laptops became much more capable of, of dealing with video and so I sort of just very gradually started um, incorporating video in the music work that I was doing and uh, and I was very fascinated with that and and the thing was the whole time like for the first you know eight or so years of my singing career i was i was traveling around with like you know a painting kit or like you know exacto knives and glue stick or i was always making some sort of visual art um, but i i couldn't really settle on a medium because i was on the road all the time and it had to be something really small really portable and then when I started working with video, I was like, well, hell, this is just like what I'm doing with sound. It's completely plastic. It's completely um, flexible and versatile, and, and it's capable of, of you know, it, it gives you the capability to, to build massive worlds and, uh, and, and to build things that no one's ever seen before you know, yeah. you're not working, you can take pixels and just build them from the ground up. And if you don't like something, it's super easy to change it, you know, if you know the tools. And so so the the possibilities that this offered aesthetically, just blew my mind. And so that's what got me into video. So in terms of how did I, you know, gain the technical skill that I needed to, I, I just, I, I got very obsessive about Uh, doing lots of online software courses. And, you know, I would wake up, wake up every morning and and 30 minutes every morning, I would do software lessons um, on, you know, whatever software I was interested in at the time. Um, But to me, it felt like, um, I mean, my motivation for this was never to actually never wanted to be a specific type of Thing. I didn't want to I wasn't trying to go into a specific kind of career path or anything like that I just wanted to make the stuff I just wanted to make the art and at some point I was like okay I can't be traveling around with acrylic paints everywhere I go so <laughs> you know I'm going to make light my medium and you know projection is it's just spraying pixels all over everything and, uh, <laughs> and around the around the time I, I you know discovered projection mapping and, and how that could work on you know on a it can be very interesting on a small scale it can be very interesting on a large scale and and so I was very um, drawn in by that and uh, so I started learning the tools of, of projection and as the opportunities came to um, to do more and more projects um, I, I learned kind of what the next largest scale of Uh, projection was and and how that worked and um until finally i was doing things you know the size of faust and um you know working with these these really big refrigerator sized projectors and you know hopefully i'll I'll do some some architectural projection projects or something you know next and work with banks and banks of projectors i I think
0: uh, that would be interesting a group that I've worked with in Binghamton is actually this weekend. It'll be anyways, it's the weekend of the eighth and ninth, I think of September. So the Mm -hmm. podcast will come out after it, but it's a projection arts thing in Binghamton. And the first year they did three, three buildings. The the year I did it was a four buildings and this year they're doing, I think five buildings and one of them is uh, inside and they're mapping the entire inside of a church. And oh, beautiful. so they keep beautiful. sending me these pictures. And they, it looks know, super I, amazing. Oh my! I, I wish I could, like, get out of rehearsal and go out there this weekend. But it's a four-hour drive, and I have rehearsals, like, until 11 o'clock yeah. Saturday
1: night.
0: <laughs> but but the, I know all the teams, and so they keep sending me pictures. And to think, like, two years ago, when we were mapping these buildings, we were using, like, two projectors on a building. And they're all sending me pictures now where they have like 18 projectors on one building. And it's just completely amazing to me. And I was like, where did you do this? But the the same thing, like none of them knew how to do mapping. So they hired designers to, to design. And then we just found guys in town who like just came in and started learning how to use different programs and how to map buildings. And, you know, we rented a projector and spent all night one night just like figuring out how to map a building and then, you know and this is where they're at so it's that's amazing is so much fun so wow I know it's so cool
1: to have seen their journey like that
0: yeah Yeah. and so many people can see it it's not just I'm going to the theater it's I'm walking downtown Binghamton with a beer in my hand and I can watch this cool show on the side of a building I've seen a hundred times
1: yeah yeah one of the first things I did when I so that the first projector I got was sort of a, a kind of a large home theater projector. And, uh, and I used that for our first uh, version of, of WinterEise, uh which is one of Glimmer's shows. And it's, it's the one that's kind of gotten around the most. We just did it at Portland opera this past year.
0: Right. And past you, know there, you were in Alaska and.
1: Yeah, we did it in, uh, in Atlanta and in, with Atlanta Opera, with Anchorage Opera, with Des Moines Metro Opera, we did it at National Sawdust in New York. And um got one company doing it next season. Uh and also in the States. And um, but for the first version of that, um, there was a community college that had asked me to come sing a recital, and I was like, Well, I want to try out Venturizer for the first time. So I said, Can I do Venturize it? They said yes. I said, well, is the theater some like would, would you guys maybe have the resources to do um, some projections I, I, or to rent a project to rent, rent a projection screen and set up a tur- a surtitle screen? And I told him what all it would take and uh, and I said I can do all of the projection content and I can supply the projector if you guys can make the screen happen. Um, And so they did that, and I did a very simple setup. I was just sitting with a music stand, singing it, while all of these these 24 tracks, video tracks I'd made for the songs, were playing on a on a rear uh, projection screen. And and I made it simple like that because it was my first time to Mm -hmm. to use any of this stuff, you know. And I had to kind of figure it all out over the course of a summer while I was singing in Japan. And. And around the same time, but, but once I got, so I bought that projector for that production, but then once we did that production, which Vita wasn't involved in, um, I was like, damn, what else can this thing do? And <laughs> so Vita and I got a, uh, a, 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 we, uh, were part of a group of artists who were renting a, a large, large studio in Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the time. And, uh, and we had collaborated with them just the year before, uh, Vita as a designer and me as a composer. And um, so various people who had worked on that project with the dance company with us, they were renting this studio as well with us. And and we were sharing the space. And so we started doing projects with each other. And that's how Glimmer was initially born. That's so.
0: That's really cool.
1: <laughs> Good well, my, my, my friend Andrew Nolan is here. He's a he's an amazing bass baritone, uh, amazing. who's who's based in uh, Germany. Hi. Hi. Uh, Hi. This is Stacy and Cindy. Hi, Stacy and Cindy. This is Cindy. That's
0: Hi. Yeah, um, <laughs> we're twins. Don't worry, you don't have to tell us apart.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and actually, he was involved. He's been involved in quite a few of our projects as Glimmer. Um, And uh, he's done everything from sort of photography assistant work to like uh, he's modeled in some of them. Like there's a a clip inventorizer, it's his feet. (laughs) um,
0: How did you forget that? What's that? I was asking him, how did he forget such exciting work as feet modeling?
1: (laughs) I don't know, in in a long day of modeling, who knows which things they'll keep. he was a vocal acoustics consultant on uh, our last project, not um, um, Death Throws of a Gorgeous Machine, Dark Dark, Dark. No. no Book Good of Dreams, because um, uh, that involved a lot of electro electroacoustic work. So uh, we had uh, the, we had the voice being balanced with electronics, and uh, so yeah. But um, I just wanted to introduce you guys to him real quick.
0: Hello, nice to meet you.
1: Um, so, so yeah, so we started working in this, this studio with, um, the folks from the, who were involved also with the dance company, um, which was called Choreo Teatro, um, which was another kind of collective, but out of that collective formed, um, Glimmer. And, um, and we were doing really interesting sort of small scale projects, um, with that, that involved a lot of uh, very intricate projection mapping, like you know, I was doing things like mapping onto ribbons and. Uh, oh wow! You know, oh, don't I say the same things on I said. Very say. small, hyper detailed scale like that. What's that?
0: Twin said the same thing I said at the same time. Told her to stop. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. So uh, yeah, and and then the, um, I think I answered your question, didn't I? I can just, I can blabber on forever. So you just have to stop me and, and point me in no, another. No, th- I mean, this is exactly whatever. what we
0: am going to talk about. It's so, okay. I mean, projection, I feel projection as a form in the theater is so new. We first saw it in London. Uh, 2007? 12, 15 years ago now. But we yeah. didn't even really start seeing it in the United States until a little bit later than that. And even mm-hmm. now it's not as common as I feel it can be. So the fact, you know, just to to talk to you about it and how you got into it. And And I also feel a lot of people feel like if they use projections, they don't have to actually build a set. They can just project pictures. Whereas with (laughs) Faust... Yeah, I know. But I've had people tell me, well, if we have projections, we don't need a set. It's like, yeah, or not it, really. It'll save us money if we just use projections. Well. Oh, That's yeah. Okay. I love
1: when they think it's going to be
0: cheaper. Yeah. yeah. It's like, exactly. well, I'm not buying wood, but you know how much a projector and a projector designer and the programmer and the computer and the software cost? But yep. yeah, so you actually aren't one of the people who are like, projections just replaces sets because your projections are on top of all the very intricate sets for Faust you didn't replace the set. There was still a set there, just an entire new layer of projections on top of it.
1: Yeah, that's that's deadly important to us. That, that is, I mean, I would say it's our ethos, really. Um, I don't use screens, just in general. I don't use rectangles. I don't use screens. I don't use, you know, I, I, I never want to be involved in a project where, you know, the set has this this. Big ass white rectangle in the middle of it, and they're like, oh, that's yeah. where the video goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: um,
1: that has its place. There are people doing that. That's that's great, and and I they can keep doing. It. It's just just really not something that I'm interested in. Um, we try to make the projection as absolutely integrated with the set. Um, possible and we try to make the set as absolutely integrated with you know the the action and the world of the story it has to be one big cohesive experience for the audience Mm -hmm. um and you know as far as projections are concerned and I know you're going to have a hard time believing this Cindy but but less is more (laughs) I I really I mean after having seen Faust I mean because because Faust it also has the highest number of projection cues of, of any show that Chicago Lyric has ever done, um, and so, so I know it's got a lot of video in it. But, but we, we really do try to start from a place of you know what needs video, what like where where what's the voice of video.
0: But I hear you also cut down. From like you guys as pre tech in Chicago to where it it ended up, I hear. Yeah,
1: yeah. You know, you, you
0: guys took a lot of stuff out or or pared down where you, yeah. you thought you should pare down. But I feel also yeah, a number of called were not necessarily cues that the audience saw. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, like the flowers growing, to it, to the audience's eyes, it could have just been one single cue, you know, but we had multiple yeah. cues in there, so. Yeah, it's I only knew way. it was multiple because Cindy talked about it, like, nonstop for a week and how she was messing up calls on flowers or whatever. Otherwise, I would have just thought, oh, that's nice. They started it exactly at the right time for it to die and wilt <laughs> and grow when the singers were talking about it. I know, it's magic. Yeah. It is magic. <laughs> magic to you, are you,
1: you, you were such a hero. <laughs> in that <laughs> production it was yeah I, w- I was I was really really um, just so grateful for your work because it was super musically sensitive and well, uh I think. and it made it just really work
0: uh one of my questions kind of goes along with that do you feel and this kind of actually goes around like all the way back to how you grew up as a mu- musician but do you feel your training as a singer has helped in your and in, in what you do in the other areas, specifically just because of my experience with you, but like how you create the projections and how you feel the timing of it and where it goes in the score. Do you think your music training as a singer has kind of helped influence that?
1: I can't what imagine do being it? able to do well all with, without my uh, experiences as, as a singer and as a performer as well. I mean, just, just as a, as a singer, as an act and as an actor, because I mean, those are, those are um, very complex and powerful forms of, of storytelling in their own right. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I became oriented as a storyteller. And so for me, I'm taking a lot of the, the, the fundamental ideas that I, I had developed as a performing storyteller and, and, move them over to, you know, the, my work as, as a storyteller in in the world of design and and also in in the directing work as well. And so, so for me, it's, it's all, they're all really connected. They're all very much one thing. Um, and so when I'm looking at a score, um, or watching a rehearsal or listening to a recording of, of something and, and, you know, just looking at what I picture in my mind, um, in, in terms of you know what the what what video uh, we could have in that scene or, or, or refining an idea for a projection cue um, I, I'm only thinking in terms of, of you know the dramatic intensity of the moment in the musical phrasing and the psychology of the character um, mm-hmm. the, the 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 world of the plot I mean it's' Yeah, it feels almost pedantic to actually talk through all these things, but, but, but it really, it has to feel like a human moment. And, and the, the projection can by no means interrupt that moment. It can't interrupt that, that you know, the, the most uh, crucial emotional focus of that particular moment. Uh, and, and, and the, the uh, composer of the opera has already done the work of building these moments into the score, um, and so in a way that gives us a kind of easy template to work off of.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that. I think what you said about it is kind of weird to talk through. I feel the same way when I try to talk to like younger stage managers about calling, because I'm just mm-hmm. like, I don't know. You just feel it. Like you should be able to feel where the cues go. Um, yeah, not everyone I guess gets it's not that. Always the case. But if you do know a show really well and if it's cued really well, um, and I think this was my favorite part of Faust, is just you can just kind of feel where the cues go because they just kind of happen naturally with the music. And, oh,
1: good.
0: you know, I, I obviously I, I watch the score and I count beats when I need to, you know, but I think when it flows really well, then it just kind of like all goes together. Like you said, it's not two separate things. So, yeah. To me, I can always kind of tell when, and usually it's a lighting designer because that's you know primarily who I work with. But you can always tell when they have a music background and when they don't necessarily have a music background just because mm. of like how they place their cues and how they time their cues. So I yeah. love working with other musicians, uh, because I feel like we just hear the music the same and we feel where the where the changes need to happen at the same time. If that kind of makes sense. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's so, so, such a wonderful feeling for me so it must be exciting for the designers
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and I I appreciate that you recognize that and, and, and make that very much your your artistic mission as as a stage manager.
0: You yeah, you have to, I feel you have to know the show just as well as everybody else. So like when yeah. I are better to do a show. I'll get the CD or a recording or Whatever I can get my hands on and just listen to it for weeks, you know, yeah. before I even open the score, uh, just so that I can feel it. Yeah. No, that sounds that sounds weird to people who aren't, you know, stage managers. I guess in opera, but for me, it totally makes sense. So it was weird when I did my first like world premiere because I didn't have music to memorize before I went into rehearsal, and I was like, this is so strange.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that's always weird for us too.
0: I'm sure. I'm sure. I was sent a MIDI file. You know, and to it was yeah. on a MIDI file. I was like, I can't tell if these are the voices or if this is the orchestra or
1: what
0: is even going on in this piece. But yeah. you get to know it really well.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, what, what you guys do is amazing. And, and um, you know, you're these these like, you know, wizards of, of the mechanism of the theater. You know, you're like these sorcerers, you're just the puppet it's man. The- Twin's
0: a wizard, excellent. Good job, Twin. <laughs> I felt like that- too because that that calling station had like so many different buttons and things that i had to push and all of the the cue lights and yeah i did yeah
1: i like when they're old and they look like they look like uh like a a console they look like the supercomputer from an old superhero cartoon
0: you're trying to take off in in star Star trek or something cindy's trying to fly a ship in star trek or
1: the yeah,
0: or something. Nobody knows what those switches do. She just keeps flipping them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah. It's a theater. Okay, wait. I have one more question before Stacey makes me ask the last question. But yeah. Yeah. how do you balance going back and forth between being a singer and, and doing all these other projects? Because if you're, you're on not- the road as a singer... Yeah, and you're not just singing at like the local house. You're at the Met, like kind of big shows. <laughs> like, how do you decide what to do when, or is it just when contracts come?
1: Um, I've, I've, it's definitely not when contracts come. Um, I've, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been tricky in many ways because, um, what I've learned. Over the past few years, because things have really been kind of heating up for me in, in the past few years on, on both fronts. And, and I've gotten more and more opportunities and um, and a bit of attention here and there. And, and it's it's been. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been exciting, of course, but but also um, I've, I've had to do a bit of trial and error. You know, and learn things like, like for instance, for the, the Venturizer, which at first I was doing, I was basically leading the, the, the technical team for that. I was, I was leading it. And I realized that by the time we got through tech, I realized this is actually back in Anchorage. By the time we got through tech, my voice was shot because I was talking all day. And then I have to go and sing a 70 minute long um epic song cycle which is just you
0: right
1: yeah that's just me singing for 70 minutes straight no breaks and it's considered one of the most technically challenging song cycles in in the canon um and so i learned very quickly that you know i have to have somebody else run the technical end of of the production Mm -hmm. during ventraliza um And and it's a little weird sometimes because it makes it look like it makes me feel like a slacker sometimes, you know, because I will have to, you know, tell the the director of production that, well, I've just got to be a singer that day, you know, and, uh, you know, I can come in and, and tool around with the cues for an hour or so before the rehearsal. But, you know, it's like a major dress rehearsal or something like that. Like, I've just got to be a singer all day. Yeah. And and kind of chill and rest my voice and get my head right. And it's, it's a very different sort of work. It's a very different sort of mentality because as a singer, we we work in shorter spurts, but the shorter spurts are, it's, it's almost like being a race driver or an athlete or something like that. You know, you can't train like, you know, for 12 hours and then go do the race. You know, there's, um, when you're on you're, you're firing on all cylinders and you know, the, the degree of real time multitasking you have to do is I don't really know of any other, uh, discipline that involves that many layers of things that you have to pay attention to at once. And, uh, and so, yeah, that has to be, that takes a lot of energy and you need to be super well rested and super concentrated for that. Um, Whereas the work of the director and designer, and I'd say stage managers as, as well, from what I've seen, just working on the production end, the work tends to be um, much more. It tends to happen over a much longer period of time, but it's but the, the out the energy output per minute is not quite as high as it is uh, for singing because singing is so physical as well, you know.
0: Right, because you're using um, muscles. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So. So, the thing, so what I've had to learn how to do, and and I, you know, I think I've finally kind of gotten the balance, but in terms of executing the work itself, um, I've had to go very carefully over my calendar and look at every singing job and say, okay, well, we'll be in this phase of rehearsal during, you know, these two weeks, you know, so say if we're in staging, you know, is, is, so in the first two days of staging, if my character's, Uh, entrances until the second act and in those first two days I can schedule more production meetings or teleconferences and things like that Um, but then once we get into you know the second act or whatever and so then I'm going to have to you know I'm only going to have a few days a few hours a day to do more quiet work and um, so I have to I have to pace it all out like that now in terms of just working that much i'm totally happy to do that because it's because i get bored very easily and it's it's just nice to uh be able to go and do something different after i've been singing all day and and it's also great to go and sing the next morning after i've been you know planning a production the night before and right. uh, so I, I just i love i i love the art form of opera so much just just for what it is and and i'm so happy to and excited to be uh engaged in the making of it that it's it just makes it feel um it makes me feel better it makes me feel like i'm i'm really um firing on all cylinders you know to to actually be involved in it in in different ways uh as as far as the practical scheduling of that is concerned um i've got two agents and one for singing and one for you know, directing and designing. And I just make sure that they each have, uh, as, as parts of my calendar get filled in, I make sure that they both have the information. And,
0: um, and really, I
1: mean, it's like, you know, if I'm free in the second week of May, I'm free in the second week of May. So it doesn't really matter if I'm singing or if I'm working on production.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I've had to make a few hard decisions here and there uh for instance during the the, the faust in portland you know, i mean that was a remount for me and of course i was very excited to be there and and i'm glad i did but in order to do that i had to give up a um there was an opera company about the size of portland that had asked me to go do a one-man show that, that i had designed for vita and um and and I had to give that up in order to you know to, to do this Faust because I I just I really needed to be there with the creative team you know, during Faust, yeah. but that was a that was a hard decision to make. Um, I think I had to give up three different singing jobs for that for, for that, that Portland Faust, you know.
0: Oh, Tony uh, really likes you. He gave him so much extra work for that.
1: So <laughs> what's that?
0: And man, you must really like it. You gave up so much extra work for for one show.
1: Well, I, it was just I, it was an important it, it was an important obligation. I mean, because I think you know at, at Chicago we'd gotten the, the show um, up to a certain point for that theater, and and yeah, I just I really needed to be there. And it also, it was just the nature of the way that creative team worked. Um, I needed to be there with the creative team because we had worked on the Faust in such an integrated way. And mm-hmm. it would have been really weird. I mean, I, I'm sure you, you would agree from having been there. Like, it would have been really weird yeah. if I wasn't there. Yeah. And so, but, you know, to give up um, a one-man show that I had designed and and would perform, you know, both, both, in a, both financially and, you know, artistically, you know, that was a tricky thing to, to have to say no to. Because, you know, when you say no to something like that, you never know if it's going to come back around, you know. It's, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, but so that's, that's the main thing I've been having to be very strategic about what I say no to. And for instance, this coming season, it's very singing heavy. And, um, so I'm going to be, uh, looking for, you know, interesting opportunities to do directing and design type stuff. Um, but, but another thing I've learned is, is that, and, and Vita has learned too, We're we're keeping little chunks of our schedule open, um, which once again, we do by saying no to things for the most part. Um, but but we're keeping little chunks here and there open to work on Glimmer things, to actually develop Glimmer projects. Because we, over the past two or three years especially, our, our schedule has gotten so chock full that we didn't have time to actually develop anything New on the glimmer front, well, I, I say that we we did we did one new project last year, which we were very very excited about. Um, but it, it was the Book of Dreams project that I was just telling you that, that Andy was involved with, um, which is an electroacoustic sound reactive um, journey uh, that we did at National Sawdust in New York, and uh, we'll very likely do it somewhere else soon. But there was a lot of sort of strategizing and organizational work, and then a lot of creative work on, on new projects that, that we need to have, you know, just some pockets of time to do.
0: It's, yeah, you have to kind of like schedule your own stuff.
1: Yeah. Like,
0: in the calendar, yeah, this is, this is when I'm going to have time to do something new. Yeah,
1: and it takes a lot of uh, discipline, and it ta- and you have to accept mm-hmm. a bit of risk to do that as a freelancer, you know, because, I mean, this... Especially in you know, opera, is a nonprofit art form, and so for the scale of work we do and for the level of skill it takes, you know, the, the pay just isn't as much across the board as it would be if, if it were in a in a for-profit context, let's say, and, and so, um, so yeah, you, you know, it's it, it there's always. And I think for people in, in at any career level, I don't know if it ever changes, there's always a sense a sense of like unease of saying no to things, you know, you never know when when something, you know you never know if, if something's gonna come around for whatever the next empty spot in your calendar is. Um, Plus, so much, much always of always kinda of faith.
0: Yeah, and so much of theater, performing arts, opera is who you know and so you wanna meet and get out to as many people as possible. Because if you stay quiet for too long, then everyone forgets who you are and you lose jobs and yeah. things like that. But then sometimes you're like, I just can't focus. I need like a day or two to to relax. <laughs> and You still have to schedule yeah. all those in.
1: Yeah. And it's weird, you know, because sometimes you have to choose between, and I think, well, I know singers are in this situation too. I, yeah. As a singer, director or a designer, like you, you have to make hard decisions sometimes between, um, putting time and energy into your actual work so that the quality of your work is is going to be what it needs to be uh, and putting time into kind of being with people and networking, you know, it's, yeah, that that becomes a very tricky sort of situation sometimes.
0: Yeah, the networking and marketing and finding the next job is basically a full-time job. Then you have to do the job you're doing, but you're always looking for the next job. Yes. And then when you have vacation, you just feel like you're constantly looking for the next job during vacation. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and so you really have to, um, yeah, that that can be a very difficult decision sometimes because you you, you want for the jobs that you have, you know, you want to do your absolute best on those. And so I I find it hard a lot of times to pull my way up, to, to pull myself away from that work long enough to, you know, do something that's, that's a bit more social or networking type. I mean, I've never been much of a schmoozer anyway, so that's not something that I really go in with the attitude of wanting to do, but, but you definitely see the effect over time, you know, when you're, when you're simply connected with people and they know what you're doing mm-hmm. and, and what you have to offer. Um, I think those are but, good ones. Yeah. But also because singing is an athletic, um, pursuit. It's an athletic discipline. Um, we're athletes of, of the larynx, basically. <laughs> we're, we're, you know, athletes of the voice. So um, because of that, like I've, I've told my agent, my singing agent, I, I said, look, as long as my butt is up on a stage, at least every other month um, performing, you know, I, I'm good, but I would never want to go more than two months without publicly performing. And, and I've been very lucky that that's, that's worked out so far. It's, it's worked out that I, I, I don't know if I've gone one month without publicly performing at this point, but, um, but, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's worked out pretty well. But like, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to do like four months of directing and designing gigs in a row, for instance, you know.
0: Because you would lose kind of that training that you had or your, your stamina.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I would just kind of, I don't, I wouldn't want to be away from it for that long. You know, you just, you have to keep sharp. You know, there's only so much you can achieve by just singing to yourself all day, um, right. you know, to stay in practice and stuff like that. And, and I think, yeah, for me, it's about being in a rehearsal process, working with other singers, uh, engaging with audiences. God, you learn so much just being in front of an audience, you know, because you, you feel what they respond to and what they don't. And, so that's
0: really important too that's really cool I think uh, we're close to our hour and I know you have somebody somebody there but thank you so much no 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 Stacy always says I have one more question do you have any twin stories (laughs) it doesn't have to to be theater related it could be any grew up with twins acted in a show you're supposed to be a twin worked with twins are you a twin because that would be pretty cool <laughs> we just never heard about it till now.
1: I'm, uh, I mean, my brother and I are only 14 months apart, but that doesn't really count. What
0: is it? That's called, it's still pretty close. called
1: like Irish twins or
0: something. Irish twins.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think there's a term for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, we I mean, were definitely, yeah, we're really, we're really close. Um, let me think Some twin stories. I don't have any good twin stories.
0: Ooh, what's the worst twin story you have, have
1: then? I have boring and pointless twin stories. Yeah, um,
0: most of what we do is, <laughs> most of our twin stories are like, I listen to music, twin gets it stuck in her head. I mean, that's, I mean, exciting to non-twins because they're like, oh, really? Are you connected psychically? And we're like, I don't know.
1: I would love to hear those sorts of stories. <laughs> well, if, I have a, if I have a podcast ever, I definitely want to bring y'all onto it.
0: <laughs> See what kind of Talk weird things friends. we do. <laughs> um,
1: there's there's a pair of twins um who are tenors and uh they're both very accomplished. They're both having international careers right now and uh and they're they're awesome. They're really really good. I've worked with both of them and uh it's Joe uh Joseph and Josh Dennis. Joseph and Joshua Dennis. Joe and Josh. I
0: know Joshua. Yeah. I think they've come up. Other people have told us about tenors, and I think yeah, Cindy knows one of them. I haven't worked with them. I don't do much opera. Yeah,
1: they're both. In, they're both really. And he
0: was in Co. I did Cozy with him. At oh, okay. Naples. I think it was Co- yeah, like five years ago, four years ago. Where was it at? Naples Opera in oh, okay. Oklahoma.
1: Yeah. I just did Moby Dick with him in Utah. In, oh right. Uh, Christine McIntyre's new production, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, he was just amazing. We we worked together a lot in that. And then um, I sang a concert once with Joe Dennis, and it's cool because they actually they they sound alike.
0: Do they? Are they but, sing?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's some subtle differences, but 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 they for the most part they sound alike, and they look exactly alike. Um, and so. But that, that's the boring and pointless part of the story as a story because the only story I have to tell is that they're both really good and they're cool. And they're no, really we, have to,
0: we have to bring them on because it's the whole like <laughs> nature versus nurture thing, you know? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, you we,
1: have to bring them on to this like, part. Are you meant that's, to be Because
0: so you guys are twins. You're identical twins. So is it like, were you born to do this? Because to me, that would be more of a you know, nature aspect of the, the twins research that so many people do but then like we we did a podcast with uh the linux twins and they both do they're backstage they do hair wig makeup they do performance stuff but the podcast Uh went quickly from theater to twin stories and it was just oh do you do this (laughs) do you do that do you have twins in your family do you get asked these questions because it's just for us it's in our generation and before twins weren't as common now with birth control and, and all kinds of medical things, there seem to be a lot more twins, but we grew up not knowing oh, yeah. any twins. So when we meet twins, we're just so fascinated by another set of twins that we want to ask them all the questions we're used to people asking us. Cause we want to know if it's normal <laughs> wow. because we had- don't have anyone else to ask about it.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. I, Man, well, now I've got all kinds of questions for you, too. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Never, let's see if
0: there's any new ones.
1: Were, were you ever involved in any studies? No. Have you ever participated in any scientific studies or
0: anything like that? No. we, we I mean, I have a psychology minor, and so like I've done a lot of research, my, like done a lot of reading on different research, yeah. but we've never heard of a study where we had the opportunity to go join one or yeah. like one that was close by. Yeah. Um, I think we totally would be willing to do it if we, you know found out about it or if somebody reached out to us, we would totally do it. Yeah, because oh. it's, it's an interesting thing to have because uh, we're identical, and fraternal runs in a lot of families. It runs in my husband's family, uh, you know the genetics behind it that the woman produces two eggs. But identical twins are, are anomalies. There's no rhyme or reason. For some reason, the egg and sperm split into two within one to eight days after being fertilized. There's no known genetics for it. It doesn't run in the family. They don't know why it happened. Sometimes that second gets reabsorbed into the first. Sometimes it doesn't make it. Sometimes it's just it happens. (laughs) So, So it's very interesting how those affect just us growing up or living or... You know, because at one point, for even a day or two, we were the same. Mm-hmm. And so somehow that split. It's an interesting thing.
1: Did, have you ever, did you ever develop your own language as kids?
0: Yeah, apparently yeah. we didn't speak to adult, uh, anybody until we were past two years old because we could talk to each other.
1: Whoa. So we didn't
0: have to talk yeah, to anybody else. Had, yeah, we, had no, we really had no need to talk to anybody else because we could just communicate with each other. And, you know, parents just will naturally feed kids, but, like, we just had no need to communicate <laughs> with anybody else. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, and even we, today, like, she'll... What was it the last show you had? tiancho Nuevo. Uh, she... I was texting her at the same time she was texting somebody else, and the text both said, I can't focus. And so as soon as I texted her to say, I can't focus, and she was saying, I can't focus then I had to stop thinking so that she could focus. Was and intense. then once she went to I bed, I could refocus. Because there's only so many brainwaves.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and who knows if that's real or just in our head. But it worked. She focused much better. And around 10 o'clock my time at night, I could focus great. Because she'd gone to bed.
1: Amazing.
0: Yeah, just think of all the trouble you could cause if you had a twin. And both of you were running around singing, directing...
1: Designing, designing. I you, know. <laughs> you. Vita always likes to say that because we're both Gemini's that we're never bored because there are four of us.
0: There you go. Um, you, and, multiple personalities everywhere.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and and Vita Vita changes her hair every few months or something like that, like quite drastically. So. So for me, it always feels like I'm with this new person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) If only it was just hair. (laughs) You're
1: the one with the black stripe in the front of her head now. Okay,
0: cool. (laughs) Do you get advance notice or does she just show up and she looks different?
1: Well, usually we're apart when it happens. (laughs) So So
0: she just shows up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because we're apart most of the time. I'm on the road typically nine months a year, and I'd say she's on the road six to eight months a year or something like that. You know, if you put it all in total and, and, you know, we're often working independently of one another and working separately, you know? So, so we've, I mean, we've, out of all the years we've been together, we've probably been only actually been together for a few of them by this point. Uh,
0: I said that about my husband too. Like when I go home after this contract, it'll be about seven months since I left, you know? So I'm like, it's, I mean, I'll, like, I've seen him a few weekends here and there, but that's about it between contracts. And so, you know, I'm like, we've been married, we've been together almost 10 years. But when you actually calculate, like, how many days I'm home, it's been probably like four years out of the 10 years. Yeah. yeah. When people ask where Cindy lives, I'm like, well, technically she lives in Brooklyn, but she only spends like a third of her time in Brooklyn, if even. She's usually not actually, there. Actually, in Brooklyn. I, yeah, I do live in Brooklyn. I'm in uh, a <laughs> marriage. In where at? Bay, Ridge, Bay Ridge? Ridge, down by the. Oh, Ridge. cool!
1: Yeah, yeah. We're, we're just we're up the road in Park Slope.
0: Yeah. yeah. If that's all cool. three of you are ever in the city at the same time, you should hang out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, likely. <laughs> I think we're more likely to to meet one another in Pensacola or something. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Why? Well, I, <laughs> I met all of you by driving up to Portland, so that's probably and just as reasonable. Uh, we live in long beach down in los angeles california
1: oh i love it down there oh so i'm going to be there um soon i'm going to be there next month uh i'm doing soldier songs with la opera
0: oh la opera is doing soldier songs interesting
1: yeah yeah so that's um that's a one-man show so it's going to be me nice
0: so twin what are you doing in one month You wanna come out and see an LA opera show? Yeah, I have nothing actually. I was thinking about coming out to California soon. Maybe I'll come out and see that. Yeah, I've only seen one or two LA opera shows. So we we probably get a backstage tour and all kinds of things.
1: Yeah. It's it's a cool piece. It's a very cool piece. Unfortunately our, our our production schedule is just like crammed to get like every like I don't I don't get a dark day or anything like that. So um i'm not going to have any time outside of the production unfortunately but it would be great to see all there if it's something that you can make it's a really really amazing piece it's very powerful
0: it's interesting because they have such a big venue to do a one-man show there
1: yeah it's at the ford theater i think
0: oh okay that's much more intimate i was like if they were at the dorothy Chandler.
1: I just feel yeah, like that would be one. so
0: overwhelming to try to perform to that many audience members with just one person.
1: Yeah. Although the, the the production of soldiers Soldier Songs that Vita and I designed, this isn't our production, this is someone else's. Um, but the one that we designed for Atlanta Opera and San Diego Opera is for a theater about the size of the uh, Dorothy Chandler. Wow. Uh, in terms of the stage, not in terms of the seating. But, um, but yeah, we actually we actually had that exact challenge of, of, you know, taking what had started out as a chamber piece and uh, presenting it in a, uh, upscaling it to a very large theater. And so we had this uh, quite large projection mapped set that was, it it was all these blocks that were sort of stuck together, all these cube structures. And um, we used it as kind of an obstacle course for the performer and, every side of everything was projection mapped so this this area was just transforming this landscape was transforming constantly Uh,
0: interesting so then you're going to this i know we're terrible at staying on time um so you're going to this production uh we do it all the time how can you, like, stop thinking about the production that you did and how you guys did the projection and all and just focus on singing since it's a piece that you already worked on heavily on the design phase? How do you switch your brain to do just the singing phase without worrying about all the stuff going on around you? Or can you it's, easily?
1: It's easy. It's, it's just a different world, you know. It's it's a different world. It's a, it's a different... Um, it's a different story we're telling, you know. It can it can still have the same bones of this of of the plot of, of the other production, but it's uh, and of course it has the same score. But but the sort of physical environment that we're putting me in as the character is uh, it's it's just a different world. So um, so that's what it is, and I accept it, you know, for for what it is. And you know, and I'm 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 accustomed to the phenomenon of uh, performing in different productions of the same piece, and you know, thinking to myself at the time, well, you know, this this particular moment was maybe more effectively done in this other production. Mm-hmm. Let me see if there's any way I can maybe bring an impulse from that moment into this production in order to make this bit more effective. Um, and so, but I try to use things like that as, as an aid, as, as a way to help scenes that maybe or moments that aren't working that well, as opposed to, um, being obstinate and, and bringing in something just because I've done it before and I can't think of anything better. <laughs> and, and so, so yeah. And, you know, and, and it's very much my job as a performer to execute the director and the creative team's vision and, uh, so I want to be the best vehicle for them that I can and take all the skills that I have and use it harness it and use it as effectively as I can um, for them and 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 to make you know hopefully to bring them uh, to, to bring the world they're trying to create to life in a way that that's even more vivid and more powerful than than what they thought it could be you know that that's that would be the sort of you know shoot for the moon artistic goal um, yeah. So so yeah, um, and, and also I had performed in so the production that we designed as Glimmer. Uh, I had performed in that production in San Diego, in Atlanta. Another performer did it, um, and that was our first time mounting it. So I was I was very happy. It was I was uh, you know I, I don't cast myself in anything ultimately, but you know I was uh, I was not interested at all in performing that one. I, I only wanted to concentrate on the design. Because Vita and I designed the sets, costumes, and video all together um, in in that particular production,
0: and that was enough. You didn't need to add a fourth mm-hmm. fourth thing to yeah. Your, I, I was I was so songs. happy
1: not to be up there singing. <laughs> <It was> just, <laughs> <laughs> when, I I did the world premiere of that piece, and I recorded it um, before I designed it. So um, I, I was, you know, very, the piece was very close to my heart. I was very familiar with it. So um, so that made designing it a lot easier because I'd already done all of the research. And I'd done all the research as a performer, so it was very intimate. You know. And, um, and so by the time we got around to designing it, I really just wanted to have all of my mental resources for the design. But then once we had that show up and, uh, and then we just took that show to San Diego Opera, um, I, I very much wanted to perform it because I wanted to go over to that side of the stage this time and, and really live in that character in that world that we had created.
0: Yeah, that's something that most people, we never do. I never jump over to live in the world we created. I just create the world and have to maintain it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, nice. Well, maybe you we could change that sometime. No. <laughs> You don't have any interest in doing a cameo or
0: oh, people staring at me, memorizing lines, all that stuff <laughs> sounds <Yeah>. hideous.
1: <laughs> yeah, you have to like those parts. <laughs>
0: yeah. Those are two parts I'm terrible at and kind of really important for the whole being on stage acting part of things. Mm. <laughs> when they're like, Hey, ask the techie come out on stage. And I'm like, no, I'm a techie for a reason. I don't go on stage. <laughs> Unless it's a blackout, or the curtain's drawn, or it's tech week. I'll stand out there all day if it's tech week, but yeah. nope. <laughs> nice. It looks like, uh just looked up the LA Opera. We should. You're performing for only one day.
1: Yeah, Saturday. It's just one
0: show. Yeah, just October 13th.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, a lot of work for one show.
1: in and out kind of thing, yeah. I've, I've done that production before. I did it in DC, but it was a few years ago. So we're going to we're gonna take a little time to refresh that here in New York because the whole production team is, is based in here based here in New York. And then we're gonna go put it together in LA.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, coast don't really mean much. We should wrap it up because I <laughs> Kai keeps texting me, he said, Stop talking. Uh, <laughs> I just got a text that said that didn't help. So I should get some sleep before my meeting.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, God, it's like 10.30 over here.
0: Yeah, it's Not terrible. I just have to get up and like be prepared for the meeting, but it's fine. Um, what, what show I'm are you working on?
1: Again? Huh? What, what what show are you working on again?
0: I'm working on all of the all of the shows at the Theater of the Living Arts. So it's the um, the Lavoie or Nikite Pa, the reimagined Lavoie with Pat Rossette directed yeah. by James, James Dara. Oh, and awesome. um, The other one is the Stephanie Blythe one. Yeah. It's called The Queens of the Night, and it's uh, three nights of cabarets. So it's Stephanie Blythe created a character called Blithely Oratorio. She's a tenor, mm-hmm. plays a tenor. And uh, the love interest is a local, very popular drag queen named mm-hmm. Martha Graham Cracker. Nice. Nice. (laughs) And uh, Stephanie Blythe and Martha Graham Cracker sing a mix of like rock and roll songs because apparently Stephanie wanted to be a rock and roll singer when she was younger, but because of her body type, they told her she couldn't be a rock and roll singer. So she sang opera instead. So now she's like living her dream (laughs) of singing like rock and roll. And then we mix it with all these opera songs. So there's these like amazing moments where they've our music director has like combined the two songs together and they're overlapping. So it's a super awesome piece, but wow. it's three different cabaret nights um, all interspersed in between Nikite Pa. So we literally, like every single day, have an 8 a.m. call to load out one set and load in the next one. And then, like, oh. tech and have a performance. And then the next day, like, load it in and out.
1: So, oh, wow.
0: yeah, it's gonna
1: be. Uh, Who are the directors and designers on that? Or who is the director
0: it's the director is john jarbo i think he's mostly a, a philadelphia person he huh? he's the artistic director of bearded ladies here he does a lot of um a lot of drag shows and then our designer is his name her name it goes by both is um machine dazzle who's also a philadelphia new york based Whoa. person so would would they go as machine as like? How do you talk to them? Do you say hi, machine? Yes, exactly.
1: Huh. I would happily do that. That's that's a cool <laughs> yeah.
0: That sounds yeah. super husky. cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, a, that's like the best nickname ever.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and machine is machine. like six foot six, like not husky, like he's well built, but this like six wow. foot six tall person. Yeah. Uh, was excellent. It's it's very interesting, and uh, we just this is the second day of staging for Nikita Pa, so it's. Mm -hmm. I mean, James Dar is fun. I don't know if you've ever worked with him. Um, I I know
1: him, but I've always wanted to work with him. He's he's really cool.
0: Yeah, it's it's gonna be a fun show, and actually, Dwayne's coming out. Dwayne's lighting um Lucia, I think, on the festival. So uh, we connected. He's flying out, I think, in three days. So we're gonna try to meet up for a coffee or something when he's out the when he's out here. Okay. I Haven't seen him since Faust, but yeah, yeah, no,
1: he, he gets, was fun to work with. God, yeah, what an inspiring guy, really.
0: Yeah, but it's it's gonna be an awesome festival, and it's it's fun to be a part of a festival because you get to meet all these other people. You know, yeah, like, I'm in on one stage management team but there's four other stage management teams i get to meet all these other stage managers and directors and assistant directors and designers you know and mm-hmm. i sometimes feel so secluded because you just work with like the same people or you know in a very small area and at festival i get to be with a whole group of like similar people so it's, yeah it's really so much fun
1: yeah i like that about festivals for sure in repertory houses too it, 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 it repertory houses as well like it, it can also feel like a, a really cool kind of family reunion.
0: Yeah, exactly. This is my second year coming back to Philadelphia. And so like half of the teams are, or at least the, the stage managers are the same. So even yeah. though we're all kind of like interspersed with other projects, um, uh-huh. when we all came back two weeks ago, we just had this like huge dinner that we went to and everybody was like, so what have you been doing for the past 10 months that I haven't seen you? It was really
1: great. <laughs> you like, got a minute?
0: <laughs> yeah, just a couple shows. So,
1: yeah. So awesome. Well, th- thanks again for having me on, and it's it's just been so great talking to you guys. Yeah, just,
0: thanks, thanks so much. Getting out of the rainstorm, and uh, you made it back to your apartment. That's always good without getting <laughs> flooded.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm all good.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully we'll be, we'll stay in contact, and um, yeah, yeah. another yeah, year, we can- we can get you back talk about
1: all the new programs you've learned yeah
0: exactly <laughs> from projections yeah, 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 yeah. i don't even know about
1: I, I definitely hope we work together again soon and yeah uh, so too. and stacy i hope i get to meet you in la if that's if that's a trip that you know makes sense for you um
0: yeah i mean i'm up and- at little tokyo all the time it's what half a mile away from la opera yeah so it's all relatively close if you don't Consider traffic time.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is all anyone considers in LA, right? Exactly.
0: <laughs> I'm like, well, technically, I live 20 miles away from downtown, but it'll take at least an hour to get there.
1: Because
0: yeah. Yeah. there's no good time to drive in LA. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you so yeah, much. Uh,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Thanks. Say hi to Vita whenever you see her again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, that'll be about five more weeks, so I, I'll <laughs> tell her. Thank God for cell right. phones. Okay, I'll
0: take
1: care. Have a good night. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at TwinstockTheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at twinstalktheater. Theater.
0: Title music, Dance McCop, is provided by Kevin MacLeod of Incomtech.com
1: under Creative Commons License 3.0.